I'm Katie, and thanks for checking out this message today. We're glad you and your family are here, and we would love to get connected with you. One easy way you can do that is text River Connect to 97000. You can also visit our website, therivertrch.cc, to learn more about us and some upcoming events. Lastly, if you would like to give to the River Church today, you can text the amount you want to give to 84321, or you can head to our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. Morning. doing this morning? Man, what an incredible morning of worship, huh? Listen, I hope you don't take it for granted. Everybody up here does this of their own will, their own time, and they are, they are happy to serve the Lord, um, just leading us in worship. And so I am incredibly blessed by all the volunteers that we have, right, and that they are choosing to lead us in the worship to point our hearts to Christ. And man, I hope today uh, you don't take advantage of that, right? Like go up to them and say thank you. They put their time and effort into it. And so uh, it's something that we are very grateful for uh, here at Flushing that we have volunteers that have these talents. Because I'm going to tell you, there ain't a chance you're going to ever see me up here singing, okay? <laughs> this is not what I do. So uh, also the tech team in the back, man, they just do a great job uh, leading us in worship. I'm so grateful for that this morning. Uh, I'm going to start off this morning by just asking you what might seem like a really weird question. The question is this, has your family ever had problems? <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Like, that's, that's funny when you hear it out loud. Has your fam- family ever struggled? Has your family ever gone through difficult and hard things? Have you had to overcome challenges in your family? I think, I think everybody in here, if they're 100% honest, would say, yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Sign me up on that train. I'm there, right? As we've been walking through family, we're going to conclude our family series today. Uh, we've been looking through the book of Ruth, and quite frankly, in the story of Ruth, there's a lot of struggle, right? You looked at it at the very beginning there with the tragedy of the loss of a loved one for both Naomi, for Ruth. Man, that's hard. They, they, they went through some very difficult times, difficult aspects of what it is to be a family. The loss of loved one uh, with Naomi, debilitating depression, maybe even hopelessness. I think you could even throw in there anxiety as Ruth is trying to figure out how to provide for her and her mother-in-law, right? Some hard, hard things that we have read through the story of Ruth. I mean, I think of even in Ruth's personal example. Here she is, a foreigner coming to a new land, doesn't know anybody. Most likely feeling like an outsider, if you will. Somebody that doesn't necessarily fit in. And in our terms, we use terms like this to maybe describe something or someone like this as the black sheep of the family. Maybe you can relate to that. Right? Somebody that doesn't necessarily follow the mold or is just a little bit outside and it marginalized to some degree in the family. And so you, you have these difficulties that we see expressed in the story of Ruth. I hope that as you are going through this last month, as we conclude the series in family, that you will take this matter of family very seriously. 
Our world, our world does not desire for families to be strong and united and honoring God. It's, it's totally contrary to our culture. It's contrary to the way our world thinks and operates. As we look at this and we conclude Family Month, man, really, I hope you have looked at these aspects of the story of Ruth, her faithfulness, God's faithfulness, this aspect of serving and showing grace and mercy to one another, considering how to bring the Redeemer, the Redeemer, into your home, into your family, and have him redeem what only God can redeem. I hope you have taken this month seriously, that you have examined it within your own homes, within your own life. But I know that as we talk about family, the reality is, as we mentioned, every family struggles, that there are a lot of emotions tied to and may trigger some things in you that create struggle. You might, you might struggle with this aspect of a father. You don't really know how these, these, this aspect of a father, as we talk about it in Scripture, and, and maybe in your own life it's, it's not a fond memory. Maybe your father was absent. Maybe your father wasn't present. Maybe he was harsh and abusive, maybe ver- verbally or even physically. And so as you consider the, the role of a father, man, if you're a man and you're struggling, man, how do I live this out? And all you have in your memory is what you've lived through. It can be difficult. Or a mother. Maybe your mother was absent, was disconnected. Maybe in a lot of ways she was very selfish and only thought of herself and didn't really care much for you as a child. And so when you think of this picture of a mother, and if you're a woman here and you had that kind of a example as a mother, you, you immediately think about the relationship or the, the aspect of the mother in your own life, and, and it can be difficult to try to resemble what is a godly mother in the Scripture and what is a godly father in the Scripture. Maybe you think of your siblings, your brothers and sisters. Now, now it's natural for brothers and sisters to have a tip here and there, right? I mean, I have... I grew up with four boys, four brothers, two older and one younger. So we, we had our fair share of fights. Just trust me on that. <laughs> but sometimes, you know, when we think of the sibling, there's, there's more to it. Maybe you were uh, picked on or maybe you were not treated so kindly or, or maybe they were older than you and they left the home before you really had a chance to develop that relationship as a sibling. And so when you think of what it means to be a brother or a sister, you have these personal, emotional feelings that that help you maybe not navigate it so well or maybe maybe even as a husband or a wife right maybe you have experienced betrayal in a marriage maybe you've walked through the difficulties of being in love caring you're giving everything to the marriage and then for whatever reason it falls apart there's distance and there's nothing left and so when you think of this aspect of being in the family, a good husband or a good wife, you have this emotional trigger, if you will, to what you have already walked through. And it becomes very difficult to navigate and to look at this aspect of the family, right? Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that everybody's family is like that. Please, please know that. I pray and hope that there are some incredible godly families in here that are encouraging other families where they have brought Christ into the midst of their family and they are resembling and reflecting the character of God in their relationship, even in their screw-ups, if you will. 
that there are marriages that are coming together even through difficult times that they have brought Christ at the center of their life and their marriage, and you see that marriage. So I hope you know that as we talk about the difficulty of family, that I pray and I hope that not every family in here is in that place, but there are more than likely quite a few of us who have experienced the difficulties of family. This morning, I'm going to start by being in the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, and we'll get back into Ruth. You see, Jesus understands more than anybody what it's like to come from a messed up family, a broken family, a difficult family. And I want to show you this by just going through something that's recorded for us in the Gospels in Matthew chapter 1. So let's just read the text, we'll pray, and then we'll go into applying it to our lives. So this is a bunch of genealogy. I know these are not popular. They're not fun to look at, but there's some incredible, incredible things you'll see listed in the genealogy in the family of Jesus. So beginning in Matthew chapter 1, I'm just going to read the first six verses. It says this, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac, the father of Jacob. Now, if you have an older version, King James, oftentimes they'll say the word begat. Right? That just means that he was the father. He was the one that uh, was a part of creating and, and bringing into this world the next person. And so Isaac fathered Jacob, and Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. And Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, by Tamar. Circle the name Tamar. If you're following along in your scripture, circle that name. And Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Abinadab, and Abinadab, the father of Nation, and Nation, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. Circle the name Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. Circle the name Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. Circle the name King David. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. You can circle the name or the implication there, the wife of Uriah, which is Bathsheba. Listen, I can take from this list of names many different names, but what's really fascinating is the names that I asked you to highlight have a direct correlation to the book of Ruth. So we're going to look at that and kind of look at Jesus' family history, his struggles, his difficulties, the heartaches that that family walked through, the difficulty of family, and try to wrap up this whole series with an incredible truth that's meant for us to hear today. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll get into of the application and really looking at this text. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you just as your simple servants, Lord. We need you in every aspect of our life. We need you this morning. Lord, I need your spirit to lead me and guide me as I open your word. Lord, I also need your spirit to open the hearts of those who are listening, who are hearing. Lord, where, where you will prick their heart, where they need to be pricked, and where, where change needs to occur, that they would respond to it, Lord, and listen to your spirit's moving. Lord, I ask this and I request this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So I asked you to circle a couple names there. And if you're not familiar with these stories in the Old Testament about who these people are, 
I'll give you the text reference. We're not going to look at the text, but we'll give you just a, a summary of what is going on. And I, I'm just going to warn you, some of this might be considered graphic information. This is not necessarily PG kind of conversations that are happening in the names of the people that I have listed. So just, you might have to have some conversations if you have young ones in here, what that means and why it's important as parents to have those conversations. I'm just giving you the heads up and the warning. As we look at the story of Tamar, which was the first name I asked you to look at, Tamar's story is recorded for us in Genesis 38. Judah had some sons, and his first son he gave as a wife to Tamar. And it is recorded in Genesis 38 that that man, that son, was a wicked man, and the Lord ended his life because of the wickedness that he had. Well, Judah gave his next son to Tamar as a, as a spouse. It's a, in, an aspect uh, all the way back in Genesis 38, that same aspect that we see as a redeemer, uh, the role of a redeemer. He asked his next son to redeem Tamar, in a sense. Well, he was also a wicked man and conducted himself unrighteously, and the Lord saw it fit to end his life. And so the third son that Judah had, he was younger, he was not of the age of marriage, and so, so Judah told Tamar, hey, listen, just wait until he is of age to be married, and then you can have him as a husband. Tamar agrees to this, and the time comes where this young, younger son is of age to be married, and she is never given the redeemer, if you will, the, the son to marry her and redeem her in a sense. And so she decides to take matters into her own hand. She dresses as a prostitute. And while Judah is on a, we'll just say, a work trip, she presents herself to him. And of course, you can fill in the blanks. They conceive, they have a child, and the children are these two twins, Perez and I think it's Jehu. It's fascinating to hear that story. It's like, here's this woman. There's sin in both accounts, so I'm not blaming Tamar, nor am I singling her out. Judah and Tamar committed a wicked sin. This is in the family history of Jesus. So if you think that heaven is only for the perfect and the righteous, I'm here to tell you the scripture is not sugarcoating the brokenness of family. You continue into the story and the genealogy, you get to the person of Rahab. Now Rahab's pretty popular, or I shouldn't say popular, is, is well known in some sense in scripture. She's a common name. If you've been in church, you may have heard of her. But her story is recorded for us in Joshua chapter 2. As Joshua is promised the land of Canaan, he sends in spies, and two spies go to the city of Jericho, which is Rahab's hometown. She is an, an Amor Amorite, I think is what she is. That's her family heritage. We'll get into that in the next, the next person. She's a prostitute. She's been a prostitute, and she owns an inn. And these two spies come into this inn, and she knows who they are. She knows that they are from the nation of Israel. She knows that this land has been promised to the Israeli people through God, and she has a moment in her heart where she goes, 
I'm, I choose to be with your God. I know that your God, I'm going to just go off of summary here, I know that your God has promised this land, she says in Joshua chapter 2, and all the people's heart melt away because they are in fear because they know that your God is mighty. And so she basically makes a profession of faith to these spies, and she says, listen, I want to be, as Ruth has said, I want to be under the protection of your God. And she shows these spies kindness. She spares the, the king of the land, the king of the city, Jericho, comes after, finding, trying to find these two spies. She protects them, she hides them, and she helps them escape. This is the story of Jesus' family heritage. We have a father who slept with the daughter-in-law, and we have a prostitute. When you get to the story of Ruth, Ruth family history is really, really not any better. Now, we talked a little bit about Moab, that they were an idolatrous people. They worshipped false gods, and they really, really uh, had no desire to walk in the ways of God, and they were contrary to the things of God. But man, when you really go into studying the history of the Moabite people, as well as the people that were in Jericho, you see an incredible, incredibly sad story. It's recorded for you in Genesis 19, verses 30 through 37. If you've ever heard the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, there was a man, a wife, who had two daughters. His name is Lot. As Lot left, his wife, beholden to the things behind her, the city that she was leaving, though she was instructed not to look back, as Lord rained judgment on that city, she chose to look back and was turned to a pillar of salt. And as time progressed, for whatever reason, his two daughters slept with him. It's incest. It's gross. But it is from that incident where his two daughters conceived and had children, sons, and that is the father of the Moabite nation, as well as the father of the Amorite nation, which is the nation that was in Jericho. It's gross. It's absolute wickedness. But this is, this is, listen, I want you to see this. This is the history. This is the lineage. This is the family history of Jesus Christ. If you ever think that the Bible is sugarcoating things, let me tell you, they give it to you on both sides. It's not just a book written about people who were righteous and kings that made it all perfect and did it right. Man, there was story after story, and these are just a few that I picked of people who were broken and screwed up and messed up, if you will. And from that came the redeeming power of Jesus Christ. It's so incredible to put these stories together. I want to go back to the book of Ruth. I'm going to connect these stories with the book of Ruth for you. Now where we're at, and we're going to see some incredible, incredible truth in the fourth chapter of Ruth that speak of some prophecy of the coming Christ. I know you may not see the book of Ruth as a book of prophecy or, or anything like that. It's just a story, but I'm here to tell you there's some incredible truths about the book of Ruth that point to the coming Savior, Jesus. In Ruth chapter 4, we're going to begin in verse 13, but just before this, where we ended last week, Boaz is on a mission. Ruth came to her and asked Boaz to marry her and to redeem her, and he said, yes, I'll do it, but there's one before me that comes before me. There's another redeemer that comes before me. In the first part of chapter 4, 
Man, I could write and preach a whole sermon just on the first part of chapter 4. I'd call it the tale of two redeemers. One redeemer who's just after the interest of property, and the other redeemer who cares for the person. Just an incredible truth there. So Boaz goes through that. He walks according to the law that it was given to him. He brings the elders to the gates, as well as this other redeemer. And they establish that this other redeemer has really no interest in the person or care, genuine care for Ruth or Naomi. He just wants the property, if you will. He wants the land that may be the part of the inheritance. And Boaz in that, in that space is, is honoring Ruth and the promise that he made to Ruth. And so we're going to pick up just after their wedding, if you will, in verse 13. It says this, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. And then the woman said to Naomi, Pay particular attention to these next words. Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, excuse me, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child, and laid him on her lap, and began, became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed, and he was the father of Jesse, and the father of David. Just a few ch- verses ahead, you hear the story of Tamar. They, 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 as Boaz is rightfully redeeming uh, Ruth, you see them singing praises to Boaz and saying, hey, may your house be like the house of Tamar. That you will have many children. Children are a blessing to us, and this is part of where we see the connection in the fourth chapter of Ruth to that genealogy where Tamar's name is mentioned. Boaz, whose mom was Rahab, is implied or is mentioned. You have the story of Ruth. And then as you get to the last part of this, you see that King David, the lineage that King David is written in there. And if I could, listen, I could, if you want to talk about broken families, I could spend a whole lot of time talking about David's family. Here's a man who is, a man who is recorded after God's own heart. Finds himself in the wrong place at the wrong time. Lays eyes on a woman who is bathing. commits adultery with her. And of course, she conceives or has child because of that sin. And King David, being the man of authority, tries to use his power to hide his sin. Bringing Uriah, that is Bathsheba's husband, from battle to come in and be with her so he can hide his sin and try to cover it up. So hopefully nobody will know it's his kid. This is King David, the man after God's own heart. And Uriah, being a godly man, knowing that his fellow brothers are at war, he chooses not to go into his wife and remains as a man who is ready for war. David, realizing that doesn't work, he goes, okay, I can't, I can't hide my sin that way. So he, by proxy, 
commits murder of Uriah. He says, I'm going to put you in the front line of the battle, in a fierce battle at this time, and I'm going to put you in the very front line to make sure that you see death. And then, trying to make himself look self-righteous, he said, I'll take your wife and make her mine, and no one will know what sin I have committed, trying to hide his sin. This is the story of David. Brokenness and family. Not just your family, not just my family, but this is the family of Jesus. And there are some incredible truths here in this passage that we just read, this passage in Ruth that help give us hope despite the brokenness, that help give us encouragement despite the brokenness. And I want to walk through it real quickly. The first thing we see as it comes to this person that, or these ladies or whoever it is that is encouraging Naomi, they say these words, and these words are such profound words of prophecy. Because they're not really talking about Obed. They're really talking about Jesus. Let me show you what I mean. The first line we see there in Ruth chapter 4, verse 14, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. Listen, that's a promise for you and for me. Maybe you're walking through the struggles, the difficulties of family, the, the hard, hard things that families go through. And the promise, as it is recorded here for Naomi, who at the beginning of the book was walking into her hometown and people were calling her name, and she said, don't call me by that name. My name is Mara. I am bitter. I am depressed. I can't do this anymore. I need, I mean, this is the state of her mind. And now they are encouraging her and saying, hey, listen, praise God. He didn't leave you without a redeemer. This is the same truth for each and every one of us and our families. Man, we might be going through some difficulties. We might be going through some hardships. But the promise is, God has not left us without a Redeemer. Let me show you what I mean. Isaiah chapter 11. Incredible, incredible power here that's, that's in here. This is speaking of another prophecy of the lineage of the family of David, of the person of Jesse. Beginning in verse 1, it says this, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. That just basically means from your family will come this person. A branch from his root shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him in the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the very wicked. But righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. This is a prophecy in Isaiah speaking of the person, the coming of Jesus Christ. Promising that from the from the lineage of Jesse, from the lineage of Boaz, from the lineage of Obed will come someone who operates and who knows how to discern righteousness versus wickedness. This is a promise of a savior, of a king, of a redeemer. As much as I like the Old Testament, I want to share some 
New Testament passages with you. Revelation chapter 5, beginning in verse 1 through 5. The scene here is the author who, by a vision or some way, has been given this opportunity to see the throne room of heaven. And it's recorded these words that as he enters there, he says these words, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seal? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. Look at these next verses. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. What is he saying here? He's saying, listen, man, he saw this scene. There was this aspect of the scroll being, being uh, laid out before him, and no one was worthy to open it. No one was able to redeem it. And so he starts weeping and saying, hey, there's no hope. We have no hope. What am I going to do? And maybe you're here today, and you're just right on that edge where you're like, man, I don't know if I got any more hope. I want you to see the next verses because it's so profound what happens. So there is John as he's weeping and he sees that there is no hope. One of the elders said to me, verse 5, Weep no more. Behold, I want you to pay close attention to the next words. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. What is John talking about? He's talking about this promise that the Lord has not left us without a Redeemer. He has not left us hopeless. And listen to what their praise is afterwards in verses 9 of Revelation 5. He says, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seal. For you were slain, and by your blood, here it is, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and every language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom of priests to your God that they should reign on the earth. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, this isn't just for David's lineage. This isn't just for Judah's lineage. This is for all people of all tribes, of all nations, that there is a Redeemer, and his name is Jesus. Thank God he has not left us without a Redeemer. incredible to see this in, in incredible prophecy in the book of Ruth. The next place, as you go back to Ruth, Ruth chapter 4, it says these words, his name will be renowned in Israel. The passage that I have in correlation to this is given to us by the Apostle Paul in Philippians. Beginning in chapter 2, verse 3, it says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Man, if our families just operated with that simple rule, imagine how many few problems we would have. If we just looked at this passage and say, hey, this is a good life map for us and our family. If I could just operate with this, man, imagine how many problems we would avoid in our families. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility Count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. What Paul is saying is, hey, listen, don't be focused only on yourself. 
as a family member, as a husband, as a wife, as a mom, as a dad, as a child, man, you better be paying attention to other people in your family. As a body of Christ where we are called brothers and sisters, we better be concerned and caring about other people in our life and not be so self-centered, if you will. But look at this in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Here's the part that really correlates to this aspect of Ruth. Therefore, God has exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What is Paul saying? Hey, listen, this is the name that is above every name. This is the name that Israel will renown. This is the name that the whole world is going to renown. His name is Jesus. And if you're here today and you know you're broken, you know you've struggled, you have sin in your life, and you've never confessed Jesus as your Lord, here's what Paul is pointing you to. Listen, you've got to claim Christ. If you want the redemption of God, you've got to claim Christ as your own. You've got to make him your priority. You've got to make him yours. It's personal. You're walking with him. You're talking with him. You're knowing him. You're, you're, you're making him your Lord. And you're making his name the name that he is rightfully deserving, the name that is above every other name, a name that you consider renowned, not just to you personally, but in your own family as well. He's your top priority. As the passage goes in in Ruth, the next phrase we see is, he will be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. Man, this is an incredible truth. It's true to Naomi, as we saw in that first chapter where she comes in and she is just exhausted. She's tired. She's gone through the ringer, if you will. Lost her husband. Lost her sons. She's walking into that scene. She is just broken in every sense of the word, broken. But here, there's this promise given to her that there is one who gives her and restores her life, who gives her nourishment in her old age. And I'm sure that young child, Obed, did that for her. Here's a grandma who gets to care for this grandchild and love on her and teach her the things of God. Wow. But what's really also true is the fact that this is also pointing to the person of Jesus. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28, again, speaking of the person of Jesus, it says these words, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. And he gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Listen, if you're walking through the difficulties, the harsh realities of family where it's exhausting, listen, it is very exhausting. No one's going to sit here and pretend like going through hard things in life is easy. Here we have this promise given to us 
We have this promise given to us by the prophet Isaiah. As he continues, he gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary. And young men shall fall exhausted. But they, they who wait on the Lord, shall renew their strength. If you've been in part of church, you probably know the rest of the verse. And they shall mount up with wings like eagles, and they shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. The condition there is that we wait on the Lord. Listen, you might be right on the edge where you're like, man, I can't go any further in this. I'm so beat down, I'm tired, I'm exhausted. You might relate to Naomi. But the promise is, is when you bring Christ into this, your life, your marriage, your home, when you bring Christ and make him a priority of your family, the promise is that God says, hey, listen, I'll carry you. I'll lift you up. I'll make sure that you can do what you're supposed to do as my child. For the sake of time, I'm going to skip Acts 3, but there's an incredible passage there. It's a message that Peter preaches. Directly correlates to the restoration of life. Just read a couple passages out of it. Verse 20, that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. If you're a believer here and you're on the edge and the brink, you're exhausted, here Peter is telling us, listen, restoration, the restoration of life, the restoration of your home, the restoration of your marriage, the restoration of your relationships with your kids, it relies on being in the presence of the Lord. That means you open your Bibles in your homes, men, and you lead your family in the Word of God. Moms, it means you open your Bible with your children and you, you say, hey, this is the most important book of any other book. You need to read this. This is important. It's life lessons that are in here. And you lead by teaching your children what's written in the Word. It's spending time with God. It's being in His presence and it's showing husbands, it's leading in this. Wives, it's leading in this aspect where you make his word and his person and his presence a priority in your home. I'm going to end and jump to the book of John. These are Jesus's very words, John 14. In the very first verse, he says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Listen, I don't know what trouble you're going through. But Jesus says, listen, if you are looking for a redeemer, someone to help you, help you to get through the difficult time, you need to call on the name of Jesus. As he goes in there, I'm just going to skip a few verses to verse 6. Jesus says, and he's having this conversation with his disciples because he's about to go somewhere, and he's pointing them to the direction on how to get where he's going. And Jesus says to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is the, these are Jesus' very words. If you jump a couple verses down to verse 12, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Listen, if you go to the Lord say, Lord, and you, you humble yourself and you walk and say, Lord, I need my family restored. Lord, I need your help in my marriage. Lord, I need your help with my relationship with my kids. Lord, I need your help. Show me how I am to walk. and Reflect your character and your behavior. As Jesus continues to teach in this very passage in John chapter 14, verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. 
And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him. I want you to see this next part, and manifest myself to him. I will show up. These are Jesus' words. He says, I will show up when you're tired and troubled. I'll show up when you're exhausted. I'll show up when you need me. Call on me. I'll be there. I will manifest. That's what that word manifest means. I will show up in front of you. It may look different for every one of us, but that's the call as we conclude family month, as we conclude this aspect in Ruth. Man, I just want to, real quickly, if you don't know the Lord, if you're in that state of trouble where you're walking through sin and you don't even know where to go, I want to point you to the person of Jesus. I want you to point, point you to the Redeemer that Ruth is really all about. It's about the Redeemer, the one true Redeemer that is Jesus. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, man, I want to encourage you. Bring Jesus into your home. Open up the Word. Open up the Word. Call on His name where you need help. Let Him manifest Himself in your home, in your marriage, and with your kids. You do this, Jesus is faithful to his word. He will show up. He will show up in a mighty way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before you, Lord, just so grateful for what you have shown us in your word. Lord, we are so grateful for what you have done on the cross. Lord, if there's anybody here that's in that state of, of sorrow, of, of trouble, of difficulty, Lord, I just pray that the Spirit would lead them to call on your name. That the Spirit would prick their hearts, Lord, and if there's sin in their life that they are battling and struggling with, Lord, that they would call on your name. And Lord, I just pray that you would show up like your word says and manifest yourself in a way that only you can do. Show up in the marriages, show up in the family, show up in the relationships with kids and spouses. Show up in places that we can't fix. Lord, we are all broken. I mean, we just looked at the family history of your own heritage. It's brokenness, Lord. But Lord, you came to redeem all the brokenness of humanity. So Lord, I just pray that right now if there's somebody that's wrestling, not sure how to move or engage or operate, Lord, that you would, would persuade them to call on your name. I ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.